De la casa de mi padre, son los Digigas. Por favor, un bienvenidos a dos caballeros que comen tacos al carbón, Wade Major y Mark Kaiser. See, I got the intros done. So we Isn't started off with... One? That's the first new intro. And, uh, Corey, who, who sent us the Spanish intro? Que fue lanzado en por Mario Mendez, que me hizo hablar español a pesar de que la biblioteca de patatas que guante. I think I only understood Mario. That was sent in by Mario Mendez, who made me speak Spanish, even though I potato library oven mitt. I don't know what that meant. Potato library oven mitt. Okay. So we, uh, so Corey, uh, Corey had Spanish in school, I guess. I have no idea. I did. Anyway, thank you, Mario. Mario, uh, of course, uh, chewed us out gently with his uh, his Voxbox last week. So, uh, you know, we had to we had to get the uh, get the thing on the road. So anyway, I got all the stuff produced and everything's done and good. How's your week? Uh, my week is great. I, I spent my week not seeing Alice with the Looking Glass. Oh my not gosh. not because <laughs> not because Johnny Depp is like a white beater. That really had nothing <laughs> to do with it. Here's my theory, though. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks... Could oh, that restraining order have come at a worse time? <laughs> Boy, I, I'll, I'll, okay. how much time yeah. would you like to spend on this conversation? Because yeah. I can go for about 10 minutes. Uh, well, let, let's spend... Uh, let, let's do a few. Okay. And let's do a and few. Do, before you get to uh, yeah. the British children's television exactly. that no one cares about? Yeah. So, I, uh, uh, so on Friday, or was it Thursday, whatever that day was, Depp's people send out a press release... And it was a fascinating statement that he sent out and because the statement had something curious in it. And the, the statement was thus. He says, uh, Johnny will not respond to any of the salacious false stories, gossip, misinformation, and lies about his personal life. Now, we're reading that saying gossip, misinformation, false stories, and lies – what are they talking about? <laughs> you know, because that, it was just two people getting a divorce yeah. at that point. Yeah. Well, about an hour later, <laughs> we had a very strong sense of the misinformation, lies, false stories, and gossip that yeah. he might have been referring to, oh, which is that he beats his wife. Yeah. So now I think that ultimately he's 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 in movie jail now. Yeah. But ultimately, like you know, Woody mm-hmm. Allen or even Roman Polanski, who still works yeah. in Europe. Johnny, it'll take a while because again, Johnny yeah. is, is 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 the face of movies. Yes, you know Polanski and Allen are behind the camera. Yeah, uh, I think he will eventually, very slowly, leave movie jail. But right now, he is in movie jail way deeper than Woody Allen or Roman Polanski or any of these other people. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I I perhaps. I mean, the thing is, Do you really think he'll never work again. No, I, I think he'll work again. I, the, the thing here's the thing: Johnny Depp is a really interesting case study because he's never been that guy. He's never been that movie star, and he's always been a guy that everyone knew. You know what I mean? He, like he's everyone regards him. He's he, maybe this is the best way to put it. He's the movie star who people only think is a movie star. He only became a movie star for a moment with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. But if you think about it, Johnny Depp has never really opened a movie. He's never been a Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Mel Gibson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, even you know Angelina Jolie type of star where 
he can. I mean, and Angelina Jolie certainly. We could we could make the case she's not much of a movie star either. She's more a celebrity that people know. But she's opened a couple of films. But Johnny Depp never really opened any movies. He had as many clinkers as not, and none of them were really huge hits. Even you know. They're just He was known as being a guy who did weird parts, whether it was, you know, Edward Scissorhands or whatever it was. He, he did the weird parts. He didn't really, like, knock him out of the park. He wasn't like, oh, my gosh, what a, you know, wow, that's a two, they're making two and three hundred million dollars because of Johnny Depp. That didn't happen until, until the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And then it stopped. It's only ever been the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And the, and the one Alice in Wonderland, which was a big, you know. I would argue he had nothing to do with that. Uh, so, so you're saying that if, if the Mad Hatter was played by... Uh, I, you know, by Paul Dano, and I, I, it would have made a billion dollars over. You know, I would not. I do. I think that was all about the brand, Alice in Wonderland, Disney, and uh, I know he was all over the posters, but I, I think it was just three D, Alice in Wonderland, you know Disney, Here's bang. What Here's what it is. Yeah. Depp is not. Depp is a reason to see a movie. He's yeah. not the reason to see a movie. That's well stated. But he, but you know, he's had as many clinkers as not. He really has. I mean, if you look at if you look at his filmography, there's you, you go, oh my gosh, that tanked and that tanked and so did that and that tanked. Oh my gosh, these movies all tank. I mean, look, did he help? Did he in any way help uh, uh, the Lone Ranger? No. Willy Wonka, terrible. Terrible, and that thing made no money. I mean, he, you know, so again, it's it's. I, I don't think he's the. The cachet that everybody's always always giving but him credit he, he for is being. A, but here's the thing, though. He what is was a, that thing last year where he's basically doing Terry Thomas, the spy thing, where he was doing the uh, uh, what Black Mass? No, 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 the woods. No, 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 no. The 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 he's doing the British thing. He's the British spy guy. Oh, Mordecai. Mordecai. Oh my gosh. Did that? What did that do? Like three cents? Exactly. See what I mean? It's like so he does the weird roles. He's he's eccentric and he's a celebrity and he's tabloidy, but. The, the, the people will not go and see him automatically. They just don't. They will. They they, they really weigh their options. Now, so Pirates again, the, I don't think it's going to hurt his career in that regard. Now, Pirates of the Caribbean comes out next year. Yes. So by 2017, he might be emerging from movie jail, yeah. and it'll be something everyone talks about, and his publicist will tell all the media you can't ask about it mm-hmm. during the junket. But the other thing is, the guy was, you know, he was with Vanessa Parody for, an, for a long time, and they raised some lovely children, and, and his daughter is, is totally standing by him in this. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, it's not like he has a history well, of it, being that guy. I think he, I don't know, it's weird. I don't know whether he just suddenly, look, because everybody knows that, that Johnny Depp likes to drink. Yeah. He, he's an imbiber of illegal substances. Sure. And whether that's something that really took hold or for some reason in his life, the last couple of years, it really took over his life. No one really knows. Yeah. But he's always been that guy. Yeah. He wasn't some clean living like Ed Begley Jr. who mm-hmm. suddenly uh, marries Amber Heard and then decides to freak out on alcohol and drugs. And Amber Heard is another issue, you know. I mean, I, I, I like... I don't blame the... You can't blame no, the no, victim. No, 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 no. I'm not blaming the victim. But I, what I'm saying is, is that I don't see people... I, I think that there is, given, you know, she, she has a certain rep as well. And I like her a lot. I think she's a wonderful actress. But she's also viewed as being pretty, pretty you know, ambitious and quite a, quite a climber. And I think a lot of people saw that marriage in terms of, oh, 
here she is glomming on to him, kind of like Nicole Kidman on to Tom Cruise to try to, you know, you know like that's her step well, up the ladder. So how does I that think a just... lot of people saw it, That's how yeah. they felt at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, given the fact that she entered that marriage without people sort of cheering her on necessarily with a certain degree of skepticism, I think that skepticism at this point may carry over. So I don't think a lot of people are going to immediately be, be giving her cre- uh, uh, credibility here. I think they're, they're not going to blame the victim, but what I'm saying is people are going to be like, well, I, I, I kind of don't trust her yet, so I want to wait and see how this shakes out to see who, you know, he, he said, she said, I'm going to give it a moment. I'm going to let it breathe. So I'm, it's not. I'm, the, I'm not sure what she could have done to justify the bruises on her face when she walks into court. See, that I don't know, even know about. Tell me, what, what, what is this? She walked into court to get a restraining order, and she, there were bruises on her face. See, I didn't even know that. That's true. I didn't even hear this. That is true. Okay, so, there you, so that, that's news to me. That's news to me. So the, you actually, love TMZ. You watch on TMZ oh, all the time. I, I've got a three-year-old. I'm, I'm like watching Sarah and Doc all day long. I have three internet dates next week. I'm very busy, Good too. for you. No, I don't have three oh, internet okay. dates. Well, I have two. Yeah. Well, I think I have two. But you know what? One of them, i got to tell you, this one girl, she's from the Ukraine. And you have a conversation with her, and she barely speaks English, and she's got a very, very thick accent, and she only came here last year, and you're like, is this really going to become a relationship? Is this really going to – I can't understand you. You barely speak English. I, I mean, come on, man. But well, in the end, you know, she looked pretty in the pictures. So I'll, I'll see her. And then the other girl was Italian. Now, this Italian girl, yeah. also a very thick accent, but A, she's fluent, and B, it's an Italian accent. Because, yeah, you know, it's a sexy yeah. accent. All right. Well. Put that out there. So uh, anyway, let's uh, let's jump into some new movies, and boy, do we have a killer here! We're, this is, we're a little late with this one because they were late getting us product on it. I have in my hands the 4K Ultra HD edition of with the high dynamic range HDR, brilliant brights, deepest darks, Ultra HD Premium. I don't know how many other slogans and logos we could cram onto this thing. Uh, the uh, f- phenomenally phenomenal Deadpool. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal. This is this is actually one of the best superhero movies of the last ten years. Uh, because it's just it's just it's it's sassy and it's R-rated and it, it it's true it, you know yes I liked it all it was yeah. it felt a little self-congratulatory a little bit but I, I did enjoy you know some the super the thing is that Deadpool was the superhero movie that the superhero genre needed yes it did yes it somebody did. needed to take the air out of that whole thing so I enjoyed it on that level Ryan Reynolds was perfect for it I wish the script was a little cleverer and not just a bunch of profanity. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of clever bits in it. Some very clever bits. And I did Look, like it. It's, it's the first... We forget how good he can be with that kind of dialogue and those kinds of things, you know? Well, to me, that's all he is. Well, but he, he did that initially at the beginning of his career in the, in the thing where he's the student. What was the... Uh... Uh, Goodwill Hunting. No, no, no. Star Wars. No, 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 no. The, uh, the oh, gosh. It's like his very first big breakthrough thing. I don't know. What Van something oh, or Van other. Wilder. Van Wilder, thank you. So Van Wilder was the thing where he was that guy, and I thought he was going to be the wisecrack guy for the rest of his career. He was going to be like Johnny Wisecrack, Johnny Wiseacre. And he didn't. He actually went in a much more straight, dramatic direction. He started doing really, really pretty intense, dramatic stuff, which I'm glad he did. Now he comes back to this, and I'm like, I forgot he could do that stuff. That's the guy he is. But here's, the, here's what I find interesting. First of all, 4K kills it. This thing absolutely kills it. If you want, like, he's far and away the best-looking best 4K release so far, because it just... It, this is like born for 4K. And I want to talk a little bit about 4K in a moment because there was a discussion on the Facebook page which bears discussing here. But in any, in any case, um, uh, so Deadpool totally aces it, absolutely cool. But don't you find this fascinating 
that we now have a an entire uh, cast of people who have played two superheroes. Now, granted, Ryan Reynolds originated this character in, in uh, Wolverine, right? That is correct. Yes. So, And everybody started talking about, oh, a standalone Deadpool movie, standalone Deadpool movie. And it went on for years, and nobody thought it was going to happen, and then it finally happened. So good. Bravo for them. But how many people now have played two superheroes in recent years on screen? We have, we have quite a few. You realize this? Okay. Okay. So we basically, well, we have, let, let, let me name four people right away who have transitioned between uh, different comic universes. Uh, and most of them, three of them transitioned from a, a non-MCU film, but Marvel, you know, a Marvel non-MCU film to the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. Is this going anywhere? No. Hear, hear me. Hear me out on this. Well, actually... Ryan Reynolds transitioned from DC to, to, to Marvel. Uh, but, just say the names. Okay, so he, Brian Reynolds, Green Lantern, right? Right. Okay. Uh, Chris, what's his... Uh, what's his right, Chris Evans. Chris Evans went from uh, Fantastic Four, Four to uh, Captain America. Right. right? Uh, ben Affleck went the other way, started as Daredevil, became Batman. Oh, my God. And then uh, the latest is the other Johnny Storm, who was our most, our, our most recent Johnny Storm. Oh, the... Uh, 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 From Creed? Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. Right. He's, gonna, he's doing something in Black Panther. Black Panther. He's not playing Black no. Panther. We know that. But, but he's, he's doing something he's in it. He's playing the Black... How about this? Brandon Routh. He played he, Superman. Yeah. And he's also in one of those CW shows where he plays somebody else. Uh, okay. <laughs> he is. Okay. Fair enough, I guess. Well, that doesn't count? I don't know. Oh, I really, haven't, haven't really on. kept up with him. Oh, uh, anyway, I felt I bad did, for that guy. He, f- he was a very good Superman, and then he just he got was betrayed. A good Superman. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. I remember seeing that. I think we did. We see that movie together at the man's, at the uh, the yeah, Chinese theater. Yeah, we did. And, and all I wanted to do at the end of that disappointing movie yeah. was sit in the theater, close my eyes, and hear the John, the you know the John William. It was John Ottman, but the yeah. John Williams the, Superman end credits. Yes, I just wanted to sit there and let it just soak that, it in. Yeah, that's like you know seventy five speakers and one hundred and seventy decibels. Legendary just, fanfare, absolutely. So anyway, uh, heaps of stuff here, heaps and junks of stuff. Now, a lot of this is on the 4K Ultra HD disc, and then there's a bunch of other stuff that is uh, on that as well as on the Blu-ray. So it all comes in the, you know, you may have to, for some of this proprietary stuff, you may have to, you know, swap back and forth between the discs. Uh, In any case, if you have a 4K system, you're going to get everything. So... um, Audio commentary by Ryan Reynolds and the screenwriters, which is pretty great. And another audio commentary with director Tim Miller and the co-creator and comic artist uh, Rob Liefeld, who uh, is really interesting to listen to. And then you also get, you know, um, gag reel and, uh, you know, from comics to screen and gallery concept art and all this stuff on the uh, on the Blu-ray. So... Uh, again, a lot of these, a lot of these other extras are strictly on the Blu-ray. So if you're watching it uh, on the Blu-ray, you'll get everything. If you're watching it on the 4K disc, then you know they sacrifice a lot of this stuff, and you're going to have to pop it out, pop the Blu-ray, and watch the extras. There it is. But the 4K, spectacular, beautiful, gorgeous, wonderful, fabulous 4K, absolutely fabulous. What if I watch it on my Timex Sinclair? Uh, yeah, that'll be. Uh, do, you, do you remember Timex Sinclair? I not not really. Really? No. Oh wait, Timex Sinclair was one of the first commercially I'm available. Sure it was. It was. It was. It was between. It was a, uh, a joint project between uh, Timex, the makers of the watches, yeah, and uh, some British company. Yeah, that's lovely. It had. Um, it had sixteen uh, kilobytes of RAM. Yeah. Uh huh. Carry on. Carry 16. on. Sixteen. Yeah. Anyway, um, so John Hillcoat 
is a director. Oh, man. He, he does stuff. Now, he did a great film called uh, The Proposition. Which was great. A, a, a great film. I have the uh, Blu-ray. Aussie, I love that movie. Aussie Western. Totally yep. intense. Fabulous. Yep. Yep. Love it. Love it. Uh, then Flies. Oh. There are flies all over that thing. Of course, it's great. It's just, it's love it. like, everything's rotting so and fly I infested. I understand why they would pick him to direct uh, a film adaptation of Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Right. Yeah. No, I've, I've I've read the road and yeah. it is. The, and he did a good job it of is it. The bleakest. Uh, well, I, I I as somebody who read the book. Yeah, I, I have not read the book. It is the bleakest post-apocalyptic. I mean, literally, yeah. this movie is like just a, a black hole of death. It is so bleak. <laughs> I don't know where he goes in his mind yeah. to come up with his prose, but it is literally it, you 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 pretty much are dead as you read it. It's so bleak. Uh. So when I saw the road, I was disappointed because I thought that Hillcoat would pro- would would not give me a more traditional road movie in a sense. I yeah. thought he would do something really out there. Mm-hmm. You know, just like no dial, no, like no music, yeah. no effects. It would just be really... He didn't do that. Now we get Triple um, Nine, which, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's got a great cast. Casey Affleck, Chiwetel Ejiofor, who we love, Anthony Mackie, Aaron Paul, Woody Harrelson, Kate Winslet. And um, I, to me, the cast kind of got me through and I like the fact that Hillcoat kind of goes back to this like low boil suspense thing where everything seems fine then like there's suddenly like there's like eruption of violence and a lot of male dominated uh, machismo going on and I, I, I found the world of the film kind of interesting um, but in the end I, I, I don't know that the whole thing stood up for me He's got a real future. He's gonna he's gonna stick around for a while, and uh, at some point somebody's gonna hand Hillcoat something really really unbelievable, and he will. It'll be Oscar nominated. It'll get a bunch of Oscar nominations. Mark my word, he's got it in him. He's that kind of guy. He wow. is that kind of guy. So uh, interesting little uh, independent horror film here, The Haunting of Alice D. And here's what's interesting about this. It's it's got a, a lot of it is kind of routine uh, haunted house, you know, angry ghost stuff, which has been done to death a million times. The premise is a little different. But what's interesting is this is written and directed by a woman, uh, Jessica Sonneburn. Well, I'm not going to see that. Just why? Let's see a movie directed by a woman. No, I'm sorry. Okay, Jessica, well, we anyway, movies. Jessica Sonneburn. And um, the uh, the haunting of Alice D is basically about a house that has always been in this one family. And 100, over 100 years ago, it was a whorehouse where a certain woman, Alice D, was subject to all kinds of just horrible, horrible degradation and whatnot and, you know, held against her will and uh, eventually unleashed her wrath and fury on everyone there. And she has haunted this place ever since. And when one of the heirs is throwing a completely decadent bash in the present day, she, of course, decides to unleash her fury once again. Pretty routine, However, very well done, and I think the, the sort of feminist subtext to it makes it interesting, makes it uh, worthwhile, because it's taking something that's familiar, but it's giving it, it's sort of using it as a vehicle for uh, something that has a little bit more of a statement to it. And uh, I thought that was interesting. So it's, it's doing what, you know, a lot of B-films and exploitation films in the 60s did particularly well, which was use a, a, a well-worn genre as a vehicle to say something a little bit more important, thereby elevating something above its usual genre trapping. So in that respect, I think The Haunting of Alice D uh, warrants attention. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, where the uh, very unique animated film Anomalisa is now on uh, Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. This was um, written and uh, co-directed by uh, Charlie Kaufman, mm-hmm. of course, from um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, one of my favorite films. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, 
I'm, I'm only saying this now because I can tell by your by your response. I have to say that I, I, I did not respond to this as strongly as many other people did. I okay. felt I felt like this thing was like it was it was it was innovative and and I, and I, and I, I appreciate the uh, the animation mm-hmm. and I appreciate what he's trying to achieve with it. I appreciate its Kickstarter origins. It has, yeah. it has very unusual origins as a Kickstarter campaign, and also uh, the fact that some of this was originally mounted. Um, as a kind of a sound play experiment by the composer, the great yeah. Carter Burwell. Yeah. All that said, I did not respond to this emotionally in the way that a lot of other people did. And I don't know if I'm just like a cold-hearted bastard or what. Okay, Amy went bonkers for this. You know that, right? I do not. Amy. Uh, our good friend Amy Nicholson, who we, we worked with back in our box office days, and uh, I did a City Beat as well. Amy, who is now with MTV News. Um, yeah, Amy went bonkers for it. Amy, <laughs> I was on Film Week talking about this with Amy and Charles. Now, Charles Solomon, of course, who we've interviewed on this show, is the authority in animation. Uh, Charles does not think very much of this movie. And, uh, yeah, because it's not Pixar. <laughs> well, it's not no. a bunch of bright, bubbly, colorful it's, Pixar people. It's, it's also because just from an animation standpoint, it almost, in his eyes, it has no, there's no reason for this thing to exist. It doesn't do anything particularly interesting. Uh, it might as well be a live-action film. That was exactly his point. He's like, I don't see why this is even animated. It's not doing anything with the format that's unique or interesting. And, he, and I think he has a point. Um, now, when we were on the show, the big joke was that I said Amy's description of the movie is so much more interesting than the movie. I'd rather listen to Amy explain to me why the movie is awesome because it's just so, it's, it's so much more interesting and engaging I find this movie deathly dull and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it began as a radio play and uh, it's designed to be heard it's designed to work on you the same way that like all those old radio plays did which is that you close your eyes and you sort of let your imagination take the words away and I, I, I found that suddenly he, this incredibly talky and verbose animated film with really not very interesting images, that where I guess the, the the big key is that everybody looks the same. Well, no, the big, key is is that is that is that David Thewlis plays the um, the main character, this yeah. guy Michael Stone, and but all the people he meets also are all uh, voiced by the same person. Yeah, that's what the thing is. Well, you know, because because it, I mean, it's it, I I love that choice because to him. It's, it's this guy Tom Noonan, but to him, I didn't even, everybody is the same. But there's this one. I didn't even girl, know that. I didn't even know that. Every man and woman in this, yeah. except for David Thewlis and one other character, everybody is voiced by Tom Noonan. Whether you're the wife, the son, the taxi Tom driver, Noonan, the hotel who we, concierge. Who we talked about like last week or the week before with Manhunter. He, of course, is the spooky, creepy guy in Manhunter. That's so right. Anyway, but there's one character who Jennifer, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, she sounds like Jennifer Jason Lee. So the whole idea is that she cuts right. through the monotony of his life and she really cuts to his heart. I, so I, I'm not saying that I'm not justifying it because again I, I I found the animation interesting but a little distancing. Yeah, you know Ray Ray loved this too by the way. Yeah, and yeah he, I, I, I can see Ray. And him. when I told him I, when I said I I don't get it he loves Charlie Kaufman anyway I said I, I don't get it he goes that's because you know you've never had pain in your life. I'm like what do you mean he goes no it's all about pain and he just he gave me something about how this is just like an acknowledgement of just pain and distress and loneliness and see, I, some I, okay. some people really respond to it Other I know people, I I did not I'm I just did, a cold I hearted bastard either. I am too and so are you anyway. <laughs> All right, so uh, Memoria is uh, Memoria is actually a, a it should be a better film, but it's 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 relatively interesting. Um, uh, Memoria is based on a, um, a collection of stories by James Franco, primarily Palo Alto stories and also a California childhood. Now, I have not read James Franco's uh, prose, 
So I'm not all that terribly familiar with why I should care. Uh, is he? Have you read any of his stuff? Do you? Do I you think know? I think prose really inflates it uh, to an extent that it doesn't really deserve. Yeah. Well. Anyway, I mean, he's written. He's like he's you know he, he's a he's a, he's a, some kind of Renaissance man. He writes all kinds of stuff. Anyway. So uh, I am I am not that familiar with his uh, whatever it is that he does, but uh, still I find that this was okay. Um, it, it's you know it's different. It's it's kind of it's one of those indie things that uh, you you sort of feel the you know he's in it a little bit, and you you you, know, you feel the indiness of it, and the characters are honest, and the performances are decent. And I didn't I didn't dislike it. I mean it doesn't. It's sort of like uh, you know shorter cuts. It's uh, you know indie slice of life drama stuff. It's uh, it's it's fine. It's good. I mean it's worth. I wouldn't say it's worth owning, but it's worth uh, checking out just based on the uh, you know just based on the performances. And Thomas Mann is particularly good. Uh, it's you know decent performances. Didn't wow me, but I don't dislike it. So anyway, carry on. Wait, Zoolander two is the long-awaited sequel to uh, Zoolander. Oddly enough. Uh, and this film is so bad that Leonard Maltin, whose job it is to see movies from beginning to end, actually not only left in the middle of it, but wrote an article about why he left in the middle of it, because he hated it so goddamn much, and he just realized, you know what, at my age, life is too short to put up with crap. <laughs> when I read that, I couldn't believe it, because it was so non-Leonard. It was so caustic. I was like, damn... That's Leonard pulling out all the stops. I know. Because he's such a sweet man. It's just, this is a guy who can always find something good to say about anything or anyone. Even when he's ridiculing a movie, it just comes off as being like, I'm disappointed in it. I didn't hate it. I'm just disappointed they didn't make a better movie. <laughs> and man, when, he, when I read that, when I read his bit on that, I was like, damn, toxic. Hulk, really Hulk, Hulk, Hulk uh, Leonard is coming out. It really is terrible. It's just it's it's just recycled gags and, and these ridiculous self congratulatory cameos. It's just lazy and not funny and it's just you know it's it, it, it's like a, a bunch of conceited actors who think they're hilarious and, and that were supposed to be thrilled at the idea that they've all stepped back in front of the camera. And they're just all come across just conceited cretins and I just did not like this movie one bit. Yep. All right. Uh, so uh, we got a couple of 4Ks, two more 4Ks here. I'll, I'll hit the uh, first one out here. Risen, Joseph Fiennes. Um, boy, I'll tell you, this is, this is such a difficult... I'll make this as quick as I can. Kevin Reynolds, who was once a real director for a moment because he was friends with Kevin Costner and he got a lot of bones thrown him, and he did a few decent films. Waterworld, not so good. Uh, I like Ro- The Postman. The Postman, I love. I love The Postman. Wait, did, did, wait, did Costner direct that or did uh, Reynolds direct that? Uh, boy, you hang know, on, you, you see, do get mixed, mixed up. I think, I think, I think Costner, Costner might have directed, Costner directed that. Hang that. on, don't stop the recording. I won't. I think Costner directed <laughs> I think that. you might be right. Uh, but he, yes, he did. Yes, he did. But anyway, Reynolds did uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Which I like, by the way. Which I hated. I like that movie. Um, he, did, he did Waterworld. He did Rapa Nui. You know, and, and Rapa Nui, that was his big, like, big budget yeah, disaster. And, and people, and, you know, word has it that he directed a lot of the really good stuff in uh, Dances with Wolves as well. So anyway, the, the two Kevins eventually have had their falling outs and getting togethers again. Anyway, so Reynolds has not done a movie in ages. I think the last one was like Man in the Iron Mask or something with, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Caprio, which was just just wretched. So here he does Risen, which is effectively like a an Agatha Christie procedural. It's a it's a whodunit, except it's a you know it's it's all centered around uh, who took Jesus's body, and with Joseph Fiennes as a Roman centurion who's told you know they they're they're claiming this guy resurrected. I want you to go out and find out what really happened. So he has to go and he has to interview people, and you know he has to do the whole uh, the whole 
you know, detective deal to f- figure this thing out. And of course, this being quote unquote a faith based movie, albeit directed by a, a major, a once major director, he, he discovers that he did, in fact, you know, he resurrected and so forth. And you get Cliff Curtis, who is Maori, uh, playing Jesus. Now, here's my question, okay? Jesus was a Jew. There has never, no one Jewish has ever played Jesus. Do you realize that? Now we have had Jesus played by a black actor, a Maori actor, uh, a, a Swede. Jim Caviezel, he uh, ain't no... Uh, an American, uh, several Italians, a couple of Brits. Wait, Willem Dafoe is not Jewish? I mean, it's at a certain point, could somebody please actually cast someone who is Semitic? I will, I will even, I'll, I'll accept a Persian actor. I, I'll accept like an, an Arab, an Arab, Palestinian, I don't care. Just somebody who actually looks like they come from that part of the world. You know what's funny is that, is that everybody complains when like, like an Asian part is given to an American or Tilda yeah. Swinton winds up and yeah. goes to the machine and all that sort of... You're, you know, the, the Jew is Jesus is never played by a Jew. Why am I never. not screaming and yelling about that? I know, I don't know. I should be indignant. Anyway, so uh, 4K. I don't know. It's not that good looking of a movie. I don't. I don't. I don't see that this is going to knock the socks off of anybody who's looking for 4K reference disc. Uh, it's perfectly fine. It looks better on Blu-ray than it did in the theater. So. Uh, the 4K certainly looks better than it did in the theater, but the 4K and the Blu-ray not that significantly uh, different, to be honest. Uh, deleted scenes and you know some featurette stuff, but otherwise not really that remarkable. I'd say you know rent it if the subject appeals to you and if you want something to watch for Easter next year or something. But otherwise, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. Wait, I would not recommend Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which is a uh, mashup of Jane Austen's classic novel with zombies. Sweet. And by the way, I like that idea. You know what? I think it's cute. I mean, go ahead, pull it off. Why not? It's like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Sure. Funny. Pull it off. I'm, I'm all over it. It just, it just, it just. But it's just not they, good. They don't pull it off. It, they do not. It is. I mean, it is moderately entertaining, and I, I, I like the you know old fashioned costume drama, except when the zombies come. I like that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, I, and it's got a decent cast, I guess. You know, um, but I just feel ultimately too many imperfections here. It's not. It's not that exciting. I, I, I like the fact that they were able to take a. They were able to like exploit public domain laws by actually using some of Jane Austen's text in this movie, and that was kind of cute. But um, yeah, so you know, it's got zombies, and they're they they lurch and they they swarm and they run and they kill, and it's a lot of mayhem, and that's kind of cool. And it's not overly edited, which a lot of these movies tend uh, tend to be. But um, yeah, ultimately, I was not a big fan of this movie. Uh, but um, it is definitely an odd little duck. This might be a good double feature with the. Uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yeah, probably. It, you know what it is? It's just, I mean, it's fine. It's just too inconsequential and strange to really recommend. So, uh, real quickly, martial arts film that's not terribly awful, but not really that worth uh, mentioning. But anyway, if, for fans of the genre, if you want to see like a, you know, an American martial arts film that's, uh, that's decently done, I guess. Uh, Fabian Garcia wrote and directed and stars in this along with uh, a bunch of other guys who are all kind of kickboxers and whatnot. And they all basically play themselves. And uh, they play the Z team, which is they, you know, they, they just, you know, they're, they're basically playing themselves. And uh, they wind up getting involved with a movie director who's, you know, got ulterior motives. In any case, whatever. Uh, the whole thing kind of goes south. It's a pretty silly plot, it really doesn't go anywhere. Uh, the action is decent, decently directed. It gives me hope that somebody with a script will actually maybe cast these people and make something decent. So, I mean, die fighting, you know, genre fans only. And lastly of note is Race. Uh, on Blu-ray with Digital HD, the ultraviolet uh, version of it. Um, 
this is the story of Jesse Owens, and it is it is in many respects more factual than the television movie of many decades ago that starred Dorian Harewood. If you remember that from the eighties, uh, there was a there was a Jesse Owens story on television. Dorian Harewood did a very good job. Uh, this one stars Stephen James. Who play? Who's a, who does a really good job of playing Jesse uh, uh, Jesse Owens? It, it's a really lovely performance. Jason Sudeikis plays, you know, the coach that gets him there. Surprisingly good per, uh, performance from Sudeikis, who has not really stretched himself as an actor. He's been mostly the wiseacre guy, right? Talked about Ryan Reynolds being the wisecracker. Jason Sudeikis is, is the new guy who it does that. It is a that. weird piece of casting. Uh, it's a risky piece of casting. And Jeremy Irons and William Hurt, very interesting as the two guys who were doing ideological battle over whether or not the Olympics should be permitted to go ahead in Nazi Germany. And that's a very interesting part of the story that has never been dealt with on film before because there was with this, you know, the, the, what preceded the International Olympic Committee as an entity, uh, there, there was all of this really interesting, you know, the basically guys with uh, distinguished guys with cigars sitting in a smoke-filled back room arguing over what the uh, Olympics are going to be and so forth. That stuff is really interesting, the politics of it. Um, here's my issue with this otherwise incredibly well-intentioned film about an amazing athlete. It does what you expect it to do, which is it says Jesse Owens was this amazing guy, and it deals with his friendship, you know, with the German athlete, which has never really been dealt with a lot except in his biography, and it deals with that and a lot of other stuff, but what it doesn't do is tell you what happened to Jesse Owens after the Olympics, which is incredibly tragic, because it's not as though he had this great triumph and he, you know, shamed Hitler and then came home and rah, 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 here he is, our hero. He came back to basically nothing. He, he was not even invited to the White House. He uh, was not, because it was an amateur competition, he was not able to really trade his, we're still talking in segregated America, he was not able to trade his fame in for any kind of significant money. Wound up basically having to do odd jobs and pump gas and all kinds of other things in order to even uh, make ends meet and, and keep his family alive. What happened to Jesse Owens afterward is the great tragedy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of presented as this propaganda story where, you know, he went there and he really showed the Germans. Well, not really incredibly true because Germany still dominated those Olympics. I mean, it was, he was used as a propaganda tool without being given the rewards uh, that were due him by America. So he was kind of screwed over by everybody. And uh, despite that, he has a place in history, and he now has a foundation, and his, his heirs are keeping his memory alive. But that other part of the story is not dealt with, and I think that's unfortunate because it feels like he's still being used for propaganda purposes. So there's my soapbox. Um, I would like to see Jesse, the real story of Jesse Owens' life really done justice to because it is a provocative and sad and um, both inspiring and infuriating story. And this is just inspiring. It misses all that infuriating stuff that we should be told and we should know about. So anyway, uh, that being said, uh, it has a few featurettes on it. Uh, the making of the film, Becoming Jesse Owens, The Owens Sisters, nothing that really get, gets into any of the meat that I was talking about. So missed opportunity, but a decent film still for what they tried to do. All right. Uh, was that too much of a soapbox? No, it yeah. was uh, very yeah. exciting. Okay. Well. I fell asleep, but it was exciting. Okay, well, anyway. Um, so let's, uh, let's, do some, uh, let's do some classic films here. Let's blow through some of these. I've got a uh, fabulous bunch of um, Twilight Times, which I will go through very quickly. You can, of course, get these at uh, Twilight Time Movies, uh, twilighttime.com. 
at twilighttimemovies.com. I'm sorry, screenarchives.com or twilighttimemovies.com. Those are the two places to go and get it. Uh, first is Judy Garland and Dirk Bogard in I Could Go On Singing, which is just absolutely wonderful. This is not a much beloved movie, uh, but it's one that I particularly like from the early 60s, an aging Judy Garland, and uh, kind of an in his prime Dirk Bogard. Um, the uh, it's one of those kind of backstage musical things. Judy Garland is a singer. She goes to London and uh, reconnects with uh, somebody that she had an affair with once, which is Dirk Bogart. It's uh, you know a, a nice job of directing by Ronald Neem, good old classic British director. Uh, I think it I think it has a nice sheen to it. Uh, the Western Garden of Evil with Gary Cooper. Uh, which is, you know, a pretty standard Gary Cooper uh, western. Susan Hayward and Richard Widmark co-star, directed by Henry Hathaway, who's a good old solid standby uh, western director. Uh, it's fine. This is, you know, it's uh, nothing, nothing over the top. Uh, but if you love Gary Cooper westerns and Henry Hathaway movies, that's, that'll do the trick. Uh, Eureka. Well, I'm going to save Eureka for the end. I, I, I got comments on that. Cat Baloo. Gosh, I love Cat Baloo. Uh, Elliot Silverstein directed um, uh, Jane Fonda and Lee Marvin in this, and Lee Marvin went on to win an Oscar, and deservedly so. This is just so much fun. 1965, a crazy western with uh, Lee Marvin just so over the top that you cannot help but love him. He is he is cat. He's just nuts. He's he's just that nutty, crazy, drunk madman, and I I can't get enough of this movie. Dwayne Hickman's in it also, which is a lot of fun. And uh, then there's Appassionata, which I was uh, relatively unaware of previously. This is from 1974. This is from a director I had never heard of, Gianluigi Calderon. Uh, it stars a very, very young uh, Ornella Muti as a as one of those kind of. Uh, I mean, it's kind of. I don't want to even call it a softcore thing. It's certainly a, a legitimate film with a an erotic subtext to it. Um, there's not much you can really say about it that that wouldn't give things away. But it is uh, it is challenging and daring, as many of those sort of sexually themed movies from Italy and France were in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, what is interesting is that it's Ornella Muti, who I am very, very fond of, mainly because she played uh, the princess in Flash Gordon. And that means a lot to me. She did. No, no, not the boar worms. And the last Twilight Time uh, title here is the one that I, I, I have to recommend, even though I hate this movie with every fiber of my being. Uh, Nicholas Rogue's Eureka, which was originally slated for release in something like 1981 or two when it was done. Then it was delayed a couple of years. It was put on the shelf and finally came out for like a week. Uh, because I was kind of in a Nicholas Rogue phase at that time, and this thing had some mind-bending trailers, I went to the, uh, the Crest in Westwood. Yes. And I saw this on opening day with Dave Barnblatt. We saw the first show, opening day. You know, we had a dream about Dave Barnblatt last night. Did you really? I swear to God. Yeah. I have not seen, seen Dave Barnblatt in like five or six years. You know, I had last se- night I had a dream about him. Well, I, I, I went and uh, got together with Dave and uh, Mark Sanderson about a week and a half ago for a few minutes. Really? Yeah, so I'm the first time in like three years. Really? Looks the same. How's Dave doing? He's doing good. Well, well, what's he working on? Just working. Just commercials and documentaries he- and doing all that stuff. Is he, is he still married? And no one cares about this. No, this is, I care. This, is, sh- is he still married? Of course he is. Did they have kids? No. A dog? No, a dog? I don't know. I don't know. Well, they had a dog. Maybe. They didn't have kids. Well, okay. Is he still living in uh, yeah. that same place? Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Did email him. Did, did email him. Get did, together. Did my name so come anyway. up? Did my name come up? Uh, no. So anyway, <laughs> I was there for like 15 minutes. I was on my way Where to film week. Huh? 
Who set it up, Sanderson? Well, yeah, but I was on my way to film week. I had to, I, it was like a stopover. I was like, I had to get to the so radio station. So Mark was having lunch with Dave. Well, like coffee, you know, like coffee, a, like coffee and then, bean and deal. Somebody said, and then Sanderson said, "Wait, why don't you stop by? I'll, I'm, I'm seeing." Well, we Dave. worked it out a few days earlier, but Got I wasn't it. sure that I could come by, and I did. So, so anyway. what'd you learn? That, that, that's all you learned. That's all. I, I stopped by. Place, I said, hey, "What's he's up?" Still married. Yeah. And he's working. On, he's, he's got that van. You make it sound like still married, like this is a thing you do every few years. I don't know. What do I know? He's got that van, right? That people rent the van. Yeah. You got okay. Yeah. So anyway, Eureka. Uh, so anyway, you just, he heard, I, you just heard such an exciting conversation. It's ridiculous. <laughs> People are listening to our show. We're talking about people they don't even know. So anyway, we uh, we so Dave and I go to see Eureka opening day, first show. And I kid you not, this is the first movie that has ever given me a migraine. I had a physical headache after watching this because of the things that, that Nicholas Rogue does with the camera. Insane stuff. I mean, it's crazy. I can't even tell you. It's, it's, a, it's, it's visuals that literally will give you a headache. I mean, you know, swish pans and zooms and crashes. And then there's like this diamond that zooms into the frame and cracks and in the middle of Rutger Hauer and, uh, you know, having just ridiculously horrible, crazy sex with Teresa Russell. It's like insane. Yeah, but Teresa Russell was hot. Back she then. was, but anyway, the, the whole thing centers around the the uh, with Gene Hackman plays the scion of a family, and it's all centered around gold. And he was, you know, he hit it big with gold some years earlier, and now the money is destroying the family, or something like that. I'm I'm still not sure what this movie is really about, but it's pretty intense. It's pretty intense and pretty insane. Uh, produced by Jeremy Thomas, who of course has done many fine films, won an Oscar for The Last Emperor. Um, That's great. Still a very, very anyway. Joe Pesci's in this. That's the thing that I wanted to get to as well. I didn't even know who Joe Pesci was at the time, and watching this again, at least in bits and pieces, I'm like, "That's Joe Pesci." Isn't that weird? No. So yeah, Joe Pesci's in this. But anyway, Eureka, you got to see it to believe it. Okay, we have uh, Criterion this week. We have Vim Vendor's Road Trilogy. Now, uh, obviously, uh, German uh, directors. Uh, 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 integral in the early days of uh, movie making, and yet uh, it took until like the seventies for them to like reemerge on the forefront of the great filmmaking movements. And in the seventies, we had the uh, German New German Cinema movement, and Wim Wenders was a uh, crucial part of that. And he did in nineteen seventy four, five, and six the uh, three films that would come to be known collectively as the Road Trilogy. The first one from nineteen seventy four is Alice in the Cities, which is in, shot in beautiful black and white, and all these films star. Um, Bender's uh, favorite actor, this guy Rudiger Volger, who's a super cool guy. He looks like he 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 looks a little like Nicholas Winding Refn. But he's vulgar. No, he's not. He's, he's Vogler. He's oh. Vogler. Oh. Then in 1975, the best one, as far as I'm concerned, Wrong Move, and uh, Wrong Move was shot in color, not in black and white. And then he really rolled the dice in 1976 with Kings of the Road. Now, Kings of the Road is like three hours long, and it's a great film. It. It actually won a prize at the 1976 Cannes Film Festival, but it lost a Palme d'Or to Taxi Driver. So this was like right there at the 1976 Cannes Film Festival, losing the Palme d'Or to Taxi Driver, but still coming away with an award. And um, that's a bit of a sit. But um, these are really interesting road movies. I think the first one, Alice in the Cities, is the one that is, is, is most purely a road movie. Uh, even though it's in black and white, but it's gorgeous black and white. And uh, I think you guys really like this uh, like this trilogy now. The extras, of course, Criterion knocks out of the park, 4K digital transfer, audio commentaries, new interviews with uh, Benders, who's still around, and new interviews with uh, a couple of the actors, including Vogler, who is uh, much older now, but uh, still around. There's some Super 8 footage, a, um, a short about some of the restoration work done by the Vim Benders Foundation, and uh, yeah, a couple shorts, a couple of Benders uh, shorts. So historically important, interesting films, 
you know, Wrong Move is the best one. Alice in the Cities is the purest road movie. Kings of the Road, uh, although, you know, it was up with the Palm Door, is uh, ultimately a bit of a sit for me. But uh, good stuff. The Road Trilogy on Criterion. Nice. And uh, then we got some uh, Kino titles here. Uh, a bunch of classic stuff from Kino. Uh, Kino Classics and their uh, Studio Classics line and uh, a bunch of other stuff. So it's, uh, there's some really interesting stuff here. The Chase is one of their Kino Classics, which has been put together with the participation of the Film Foundation and the UCLA Film and Television Archives, remastered from original archival 35mm elements. And uh, The Chase, if you've never heard of it, it's from 1946. It's a relatively well-regarded noir, and I think this is one of those noirs that dates particularly well because it does not. it is not sort of larded down by a, uh, a cast that has become so familiar that they kind of outgrow the material. That's one of the problems, even though I love all the, you know, the stuff with Bogart and Cagney and, you know, Edward G. Robinson and whoever else from the time, Peter Lorre. When those faces show up, there's something a little bit cliche about it. But here you got Robert Cummings and Michelle Morgan, you know, people that you don't normally really associate it with. Peter Lorre does show up, but he doesn't really distract. So Peter Lorre's not the point of this. Um, he just kind of melds in with everybody else in a very, very, uh, in a very, you know, a very, a, a very um, kind of adept way. It's not like the Maltese Falcon where you got Sidney Greenstreet and Bogart and everybody's just larger than life. So this, uh, this is a really pretty cool noir. It's one of those uh, wrong man deals that Hitchcock dealt, dealt particularly well with. And um, it, uh, it, it's, it's got some really good twists and turns. I think uh, it, it, will, it survives particularly well today and is worth rediscovering, especially by noir fans. Directed by Arthur Ripley, who had a decent career, Believe but again, not. Is, not, uh, yeah, is not exactly known as a, a kind of legendary director. Anyway, also Edgar Rice Burroughs' The People That Time Forgot which is just fabulous cheese. This is really great cheese. This is from 1977. It's a movie that people might have taken seriously if it weren't released the exact same year as Star Wars, but Star Wars raised the bar so resolutely in 1977 uh, that this, this thing just had nowhere to go. Uh, this was an AIP release, total straight-up uh, exploitation schlock, uh, and it's a hoot. It really is. It's just, it, it gets worse and worse with time. It's worth rediscovering because it's so dreadful. Absolutely silly and ridiculous, and the effects are horrible. Um, the only the only thing that actually makes this really interesting is the casting, which includes Patrick Wayne, John Wayne's son, uh, and Sarah Douglas, who of course would eventually show up in Superman two in the uh, you know as one of the along with Zod and the other guy. That's right, they she go into the uh, the Triangle of Death, whatever. It's right, called. Yes. smoking. Gotta love Sarah really? Douglas. Oh yeah. Well, she had. I remember in the movie she had like that short cropped oh, jet black hair. Oh, it was like a whole S and M thing. Really? Didn't you sit there watching Superman two and you just wanted to like no, whip you? Absolutely you didn't, not. You didn't want to no. beat you, tie you down, no. put handcuffs not on. Not her. I didn't find really? her attractive. You didn't didn't in get that movie. Didn't get that whole dominatrix vibe going. I did not. Really? I did not. You didn't want to put. I a, tell you, I don't care. I did not. Didn't want to put a dog collar on and get down on all fours in the movie aisle and just start barking. Really? You didn't feel that way. I, I did that anyway. You did. Okay. It's just because I did. To. I did. Boy, I'll tell you. Anyway, uh, this is where we start losing subscriptions. <laughs> we have subscriptions? I didn't realize that. I don't know. Whatever. People just start turning their computers off. So, in any case, uh, a few extras here. Audio commentary with Kevin Connor, the uh, director, uh, moderated by Brian Trenchard-Smith, I would add, who is also a pretty slick director in his own. By the way, who worked with Mark Sanderson, who, you know, we just mentioned a second ago with Dave Barnblatt. Mark Sanderson wrote a thing that Brian Trenchard-Smith directed. Did you know that? I did not. You did not? Okay. Well, anyway, he did. And then uh, you also get interviews with Sarah Douglas and uh, Dana Gillespie and a trailer. It's fun stuff. Good schlock. 
And then rounding things out, uh, speaking of schlocky people, Pete Walker uh, is a figure who is rather infamous in many circles. This is from the Jezebel Library, released by Kino, Kino Lorber. And this is for men only, along with School for Sex. These are all part of uh, the Pete Walker Library that is currently with, Je- with the Jezebel Library. And uh, this is basically just, uh, you know, nasty kind of lame, softcore, stag reel stuff without, that nobody took any credit for. Um, and that's it. It's really, it's, it's just, it's kind of a, it's a nasty little slice of life and slice of film history uh, from the late 1960s that I can really only recommend for people who are fans of this particular thing. The only thing that's interesting for people who are not fans of this particular genre is the uh, Get Cheeky with Pete Walker interview documentary that is about nine minutes of the extras here. Uh, but otherwise, it's just, it's just nudie stag film stuff. It's, uh, it's very depressing in a certain way. Uh, Candy, legendary film. If you've never seen Candy, starring Ava Allen, who went nowhere after this, this thing is uh, one of those weird... Barbarella era 60s kitsch uh, classics from 1968 and uh, it's more famous because of all the men who are in it than the fact that it has this smoking kind of clone of every other blonde bombshell from the era uh, in Eva Allen uh, Marlon Brando Ringo Starr, James Coburn Walter Matthau and Richard Burton are all in this movie and uh, it is just absolutely such a strange artifact of the era. It really is. It's just a, it is a crazy, psychedelic, weird, late 60s artifact that has to be seen to be believed. It really is. They just don't make these movies anymore at all. It's a weird, very odd satire. And then Dustin Hoffman, and who is Harry Kellerman, and why is he saying those terrible things about me? Um, By Ulla Grossbard who had a moment in the, uh, in the 1970s primarily, late 60s, kind of into the, into the early 80s. Ulu Grossbard directed a lot of great actors in some fairly negligible and forgettable performances. And uh, this is just, uh, this is kind of like the, uh, what was the Coen Brothers movie we're talking about? The, uh, with the, Hail with, Caesar. No, 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 not that one. Blood the, Simple. No, no, the, recent one, the recent one with, the, with, the, with the, the songwriter and the folk music and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, the, the, the thing. Uh, yeah, that thing. <laughs> So Wait, anyway, what's it called? well, that's so, were we having this problem last week where yeah. we can't remember Jack you know what I've been doing? about anything? I I went and I got some um, some oils. Some we're for it though. No, that's not it. No, no. I went and I got some uh, essential oils which you inhale and they're supposed to All improve right. your memory. Uh, I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's good. Seriously? Yeah. Well, they ain't working because you can't know, remember the name a, of the movie. No, I didn't inhale any this afternoon. Well, hang on, I'm going to find this out. I'm going to start snorting. Don't 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 bridge spies. No. They, they, they wrote that movie. Uh, yes, exactly. I know they Hang did. On. But that's very strange that you would just pull that up. Anyway. So uh, <laughs> it's, the, wait, it's wait, the, the Life and Times of Shmooey Schmaltznitz. Uh, I swear to Christ, I don't it's, remember it's the that worst title. It, movie. It's the worst title well, ever. Well, brother, no, it's like, uh, it was, okay, how was that? Yeah. Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Don't stop recording. Oscar Isaac. Here oh, we go. This is good. We're, 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 we're getting this. This is going to happen. Wait, hang on. Oh, my word. Show me a hero. No. Yeah. Most violent year. No. <laughs> Where is it? Inside Lewin Davis. There you go. It's the worst <laughs> By the way, I, I, saw, uh, I saw Apocalypse, right? Yes. X-Men Apocalypse. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, Apocalypse was played for some reason mm-hmm. by Oscar Isaac. Right. I, I don't know why. Well, uh, he's, he's, he's good. Why is he playing? How it? is it, by the way? You know, I was... Here's the thing. Everyone hates it. 
if you read my review on Alt Film Guide, okay. I was a little sympathetic towards it because okay. I feel like the X-Men films are the superhero series made for adults mm -hmm. because it has a, a central theme, right? Outsiders yes. wanting to be accepted. That, that is so timeless and resonant and, and uh, resilient yes. because it can apply to anybody who's an outsider. Maybe yeah. you're a teenager. Maybe you're, you know, you're gay and you haven't come out yeah. yet. Maybe whatever, whatever issue you have. Yeah. It's just such a resilient theme. That, that I feel like it, it, it always has that one little foundation of, of quality there. Yeah. The the issue with this one, as opposed to the other ones that Singer did, was that it's nothing but special effects. Yeah. All special effects, a, 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 a cartoon villain. Right. And that really brings it down. Okay. But I, I, I do have sympathy for the series, and so okay. I, I did like it to an extent. Well, very good. So anyway, this is basically the inside Lewin Davis of uh, 1971. Dustin Hoffman, very good. Uh, Barbara Harris, very good. Got an Oscar nomination for it. But otherwise, uh, between apart from their performances, there's really nothing particularly amazing about it. It's kind of a cult classic for a lot of weird, eccentric ways. It's an offbeat film, and it's got you know it's nice and dated, and it's got some good songs by Shel Silverstein. Can you believe that Shel Silverstein wrote the, uh, the music and lyrics for the, this? Book? I don't believe it. I think you're lying. Shel Silverstein, very funny. I like his books. Are you they're they're me nasty. This? Uh, no. Why not? Uh, because no. I and then, want it. And then lastly from Kino, which is the one that Mark wants, is Buster Keaton, the shorts collection, 1917 to, 1917 to 1923. This is five discs with some great Buster Keaton shorts on it. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Now, there was a previous Buster Keaton short Correct. that did not include the 1917 ones, which are the Fatty Arbuckle ones. Right. And these ones include the Fatty Arbuckle they ones. They do. And it also has all the other ones that were on the previous set, including my favorite Buster Keaton short, One Week. Does it have One Week on it? It's got the, no. Uh, one Week. One, oh, one week. week, yes. Yeah, it's yes. love that one. Funny. Yes. So uh, it has One Week. It has the pale face. It's got, you know, a lot, all, all the stuff that nobody really kind of pays much attention to because they're not part of the, the canon, as it were. No, you no, know, these the, are good. These are funny because you know what? You, you get everything that, everything that Buster Keaton is. In a bite-sized package. Absolutely. Daydreams, uh, The Blacksmith. I mean, a lot of really great stuff. The Boat is unbelievably funny. Uh, Neighbors is really funny. Scarecrow is really funny. And then, of course, the Arbuckle stuff is great. The Hayseed, Coney Island, Out West, His Wedding Night. A lot of really great stuff. The Arbuckle stuff is particularly amazing because two legendary silent figures Well, he was together. a mentor. I mean, uh, uh, Arbuckle, Arbuckle was him. a mentor. To, yep. to, uh, and, of course, and, Arbuckle wound up with his own... Controversy issues, issues yeah. that yeah. Uh, he was accused of uh, horrible convicted. crimes. Never that was convicted. he was never convicted, but uh, he was tried like three times for it or something like that. It's a horrible story. It really is. I, uh, I it's it, the best story ever. That, okay, it, it would make a great movie. But anyway, Dude, no one's no one no one's really made a fatty Arbuckle movie. No, no, they haven't. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why. There's a few people who could, but you know, Jonah Hill would be a good fatty Arbuckle. Yes, would he? Pretty much would. anybody fat would be a good fatty yeah. Arbuckle. Uh, for historical purposes, we just mentioned that earlier, but uh, it is true. The Terror from 1963 is definitely something you want to check out. Now, why is that, Wade? It's just a we, it's we, just another Roger Corman film about a mysterious woman who's possessed well, by a uh, ghost. As it happens, we cover this at the end of uh, Schlock, The Secret History of American Movies, Ray and I, I did. talk about yeah, it, blah, but, blah, blah, blah. But uh, the, uh, the thing about The Terror was that it was a Corman film directed by Corman, but uh, as he pointed out in our film, of course, he, just about everybody directed a part of this. I mean, everybody directed a piece of this. And Corman was perfectly happy. like, yeah, you want to direct a day? Go ahead. He's just letting everybody direct this. And... Uh, it stars Jack Nicholson, then a very young guy, not really in, uh, you know, not yet a star of any kind, of any note, and it all takes place around the, you know, it's the Napoleonic era, right? So, uh, you, and then you've got, uh, you know, Nicholson playing this uh, the soldier from Napoleon's army, 
And then uh, Boris Karloff is this very creepy baron who, uh, you know, has this kind of a creepy old castle. And uh, everything, nothing really makes much sense in here, but it's got a lot of mood. And um, oddly enough, and by the way, one of, those, one of those people who directed, like the many people who directed tons of pizza, parts of this, Francis Coppola directed a, a piece of this. I don't know which piece. But um, as the, again, as, uh, as Corman said in our doc, Jack Nicholson said, why don't you let me direct some of this? You've let everybody else direct this. And he let Nicholson direct the last day of shooting. So the last day of shooting was directed by Jack Nicholson. How about that? Isn't that neat? So anyway, Dick Miller also shows up in this like he did everything that Corman did at the time. And uh, it's, it's a nice, moody, funky classic with a very cool early performance by Jack Nicholson. I, I got to recommend it. The Film Detective, restored classics uh, on Blu-ray, finally. The Terror on Blu-ray. This thing's been on, like, uh, public domain junk DVDs for 20 years, and it's finally on Blu-ray from The Film Detective. So well done. Thank you, folks. <laughs> so well done. Thank you, folks. Yes. Uh, I'm not thanking anybody for Venom. Because this movie's terrible. The only good thing about this movie... Yes. ...is that it has uh, Klaus Kinski in it. Now, this is a movie about... There's a, uh, there's a chauffeur, played by Oliver Reed, and there's, a, uh, uh, there's like a sexy maid, played by the woman from uh, Straw Dogs, and uh, there's a terrorist, played by Klaus Kinski, and they kidnap this, um, this kid, very wealthy kid, from his London, London apartment. Uh, but what complicates matters is that there's a gigantic... Snake. You. Huge, angry, black mamba snake. Very aggressive, very deadly. And uh, it uh, ruins uh, everything. They can't kidnap this kid where there's a gigantic, deadly snake in the room. I mean, come on. How's that going to happen? I don't know. You tell me. It's got a weird cast. Sterling Hayden's in this for some reason. Klaus Kinski, who's who's always unhinged. Have I ever mentioned my mother was nearly Sterling Hayden's nanny? I think I've mentioned that before, right? You mentioned it to me. Yeah, my, my parents were dating at the time. My father talked her out of it. Thank goodness. Because he was a little bit on the, you know. This not... is from 1981. Yeah. And uh, there's a Blu-ray and a DVD. This is uh, courtesy of the good folks at uh, Blue Underground. You know, this was part of a whole series of movies of that era that were really just ridiculous. And they had decent casts and uh, ridiculous storylines a couple of okay scares, mostly bad special effects because we're talking about 1981. But uh, some of these has had cult followings. You know, some of these were popular for the day. Yeah. So yeah, Venom, 2K uh, high definition transfer. It's okay. The elements are not that great. It's an old movie and it's a low budget movie, so it'll never look fantastic. But uh, you don't want it to look fantastic because you know it's Venom. Uh, Warner Archive has three titles this week uh, and one of them, two of them are Blu-ray one of them is uh, DVD-R the MOD Manufacturer on Demand deal which uh, is uh, a Peter Lorre movie, I mean a straight up, not Peter Lorre alongside a bunch of other people but this is like M, Peter Lorre is the guy uh, this is Stranger on the Third Floor, uh, starring Peter Lorre along with John McGuire, Margaret Talashay and Charles Waldron and uh, this is a, uh, a shockingly young and good-looking Laurie uh, from uh, the early 40s. And i got to be honest with you, th- th- it's, a, it's kind of amazing. Peter Laurie got all kind of weird and creepy at a certain point very quickly. But in some of these movies, he's, he's got like kind of a, I don't know, he's like a, he's, he, there's something almost matinee idolish about him. He's still creepy. But he just he doesn't have the like the mushy face that he got later on as he got older and Aww. he started abusing you know who knows what morphine or whatever it was it was his uh, his drug of choice anyway 
no, this is a uh, this is about a guy. Uh, John McGuire plays a guy who. Um, Oh boy! I even get to this. There's a there's a whole there's a whole uh, d- death sentence thing going on here. Elisha Cook um, is sentenced to die in the electric chair, and um, he, the it, 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 there's a there's a realization by someone. I'm trying not to give anything away here. There's a realization by someone that it may be unjust, and then the question is how do you do justice? And then of course the investigation has to begin. And uh, I won't tell you who does what and who reveals what is who, but it, it, it winds up being very interesting and twisty and suspenseful. And uh, Peter Laurie is amazing. He's really, really good in it. This is one of those pieces where he doesn't just creep you out. He really plays a part and does it beautifully. Uh, directed by Boris Ingster, who was German and did uh, you know came from the whole expressionist school. So it has that not just film noir look, but the expressionist film noir look so it's not like they didn't have enough money they could only afford a few lights so make it look dark and moody he actually intentionally gave it all of the shadowy motifs that came from German expressionism so it's a it's a particularly interesting noir and then on Blu-ray from the Warner Archive collection uh, two absolutely fabulous films that just I'm so thrilled these are on Blu-ray and they could not do uh, I, I, I can't say enough about them Father of the Bride Directed by Vincent Minnelli. Uh, we're not talking about the Steve Martin one. We're talking about the one with Spencer Tracy and Elizabeth Taylor, and it is just wonderful and delightful. It, of course, had a sequel, Father's Little Dividend, that was not as good, but this is a classic. It is delightful. Spencer Tracy is to die for, and uh, Elizabeth Taylor as his daughter is just fabulous. I mean, it, this is just movie star heaven. This is one of the best films that MGM has ever made. Uh, this is from 1950, classic of the era, d- produced by Pondro Berman, Vincent Minnelli, just brilliant, uh, way better than the novel on which it's based. I can't say enough about it. A screenplay that is an all-time Hollywood classic by Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett, uh, and it looks gorgeous on Blu-ray. Warner Archive kills it with this one. And then one that I thought should... I would have expected this to be not a Warner Archive release, but like a big old special edition release, you know, right about now, like an anniversary, like a 50th anniversary release with all kinds of special extras and whatnot, and they didn't do that. Um, but they did at least finally release it on Blu-ray and in a really, really nice edition. So I'm going to cut Warner a little bit of slack for not really going the full nine yards on this, and that is uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, uh, which was you know, directed, of course, by Mike Nichols, brilliantly in black and white, and uh, you know, an, an amazing on-screen performance between uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton just chewing each other up as they probably did in real life. This thing is magnificent, absolutely magnificent. It's one of the best films of the era, it uh, established Mike Nichols as a real director to be reckoned with. has a great, creepy score by uh, Alex North. And, of course, Ernest Lehman does an adaptation of the, of the Edward Albee play that is uh, par excellence, a brilliant screenplay. The black and white, crystal clear, beautiful, brilliant, excellent, well-done Warner Archive. It was uh, Mike Nichols' first film. Yes, it was. movie director. He would go on to do The, the, uh, the Graduate. The Graduate. Yeah, and boy, right. was he hot stuff after those two films. Oh, yeah. Speaking yeah. of hot stuff, uh, Wade, uh, Bloodbath is a strange movie that has a very uh, convoluted, uh, uh, took, took a very convoluted road to the screen. I'm going to try to explain this as quickly and concisely because we have to go, Wade, don't we? Yes, we do. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, in 1963, Corman was on vacation in Europe, and he made a deal to distribute this Yugoslavian film. And, of course, he doesn't want to make a Yugoslavian film. He wants to make a film in Yugoslavia with a bunch of his cheap uh, cast members sure. over there to uh, make sure it's uh, sufficiently, uh, you know, American. So he sends uh, William Campbell and Patrick McGee over there to make this movie. 
and uh, it winds up being uh, really terrible. It does get released, but it winds up being really terrible. It actually winds up on television. So then, in 1964, Corman asks director Jack Hill to shoot some new scenes and try to salvage this horrible Yugoslavian film. He does, and uh, does what he does. Corman, not 100% satisfied. He then hires, in 1966, Stephanie Rothman mm -hmm. to make some changes to the story and shoot some new stuff. Sure. So you have at least three versions of the film, and it finally did get released, and it's called Bloodbath. And I have to say... Part of the Arrow line. It's part of the Arrow line. And yeah. Arrow, you know, again, and we've talked about this a couple times already on the show, it's a good piece of... A, this a movie does have certain historic value and curio or curiosity value. And Arrow has resurrected this strange little film, and they have really knocked it out of the park. They did a great job. Um, high definition, a version of the film, uh, 2K restorations of Portrait and... Now, Portrait and Terror was the TV version. And then, of course, Bloodbath and Track of the Vampire was, were, were the other ones. Um, there's a visual essay, which is kind of cool. New archive, uh, um, a, an archive interview with, uh, with producer director Jack Hill, where he gets into uh, how the film was made. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. I mean, is the film good? Not really. I mean, you know, it's a Corman film. Is it really yeah. good? And it's directed by five different people. So it's like, yeah. it's not a great film. But it's, 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 a, it's a curious film that had a very circuitous route to the screen and then, of course, to uh, Blu-ray. And then we uh, close out with a couple of other Arrow uh, releases, other Arrow box sets. One is Killer Dames, which is a box set that includes two, quote-unquote, two gothic chillers by Emilio P. Miraglia. Now, that always tells you, whenever you see chillers, and then there's an Italian name after it, you, that just tells you we are into schlock central here. Giallo so, City. Yeah, that's it, Giallo City. So anyway, uh, the, uh, the, the Giallo films in question here, these famous movies by Emilio Miraglia, are uh, The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave, which um, I think that title probably needs a little elaborate now, not really. It needs to be longer? It's a, well, the, you know what it's about? It's, it's about a, the night that... Uh, Evelyn came out of the grave. Exactly. And then the, <laughs> the other one is The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. You know what that one's about? It's about a red. It's a sequel to the Red Queen Kills Six Times. Exactly. So essentially, Emilio, uh, who is a director I was never particularly familiar with, is a guy who felt that his films were not strong enough to stand on their own. So he pretty much tells you exactly what they're about in the title every single time. Uh, audio commentaries, interviews, heaps of uh, extras here. These are not very good movies, but they are cult films. And uh, people love them for some strange, peculiar reason. So anyway, this is a limited edition set, only 3,000 copies available. And uh, if you love the genre, by all means, knock yourself out. The last one, this is a really, really cool set. This is, uh, this is good, uh, good Juice Blu-ray. This is Outlaw Gangster VIP, the complete collection. Um, these are, this is just really super cool stuff. This is from 1968, and uh, director Toshio Masuda and his star Tetsuya Watari made Outlaw Gangster VIP, which is a, a uh, kind of an amazingly, even for the era where Yakuza films were being made constantly over and over and over, this was particularly uh, gritty because it was, it's the true story, a true story of a, um, a guy named Goru Fujita who uh, lived a rather spectacularly bloody and brutal and dramatic life. So anyway, the, uh, the series is uh, 
kind of it sort of set the the, the tone for a lot of other uh, Yakuza films to follow, and it was uh, really quite a pioneering pioneering effort, and it's uh, kind of amazing. So, uh, six films in total, and uh, they are all beautifully beautifully restored on Blu-ray, and they're definitely worth checking out if you like Yakuza films. If you don't like really brutally violent Yakuza films, you're not going to necessarily enjoy these. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, I, for Yakuza fans, this is quite the uh, wonderful discovery. So that is Outlaw Gangster VIP Complete Collection, all six films worth checking out. All right, Mark, uh, that should do us for the week. And, uh, you know, we uh, do we have any, any... Well, thank you again for all the intros. We're going to start putting the, piling the intros in. And uh, we're, we're all good now for a year and a half with new intros. You realize that? Whee! A year and a half. All right, we'll see you guys next week. 